Chapter 18 of The Dogs of Boytown by Walter A. Dyer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 On Hulse's Pond. A week or so after the Mass Tucket show, when Ernest Whipple's kennel paper arrived, he and Jack scrutinized it eagerly for the account of the show. The man who reported it had a great deal to say, in more or less technical terms, about a good many of the dogs. He seemed to pride himself on his ability to pick future winners, and he was rather free with his predictions. Romulus he mentioned favorably in passing, referring to his enviable field trial record, but to Remus he devoted an entire paragraph. This dog, he wrote, owned by Master Jack Whipple, is a twin brother to the aforementioned Romulus. Barring a slight weakness in the loins and a look of wispiness about the stern, he was set down in good shape and easily defeated the other novices. He has the classic type of laverick head, and this had much to do with his being placed reserved to champion the Marquis in the winner's class. He is a young dog, and with proper treatment he should figure in the primary contest of next year. We predict a bright future on the bench for this Remus." Incidentally, the boys were pleased to learn that Tippecanoe and Tyler, too, had won the prize for the best brace of beagles in the show, besides some individual honors, and they rejoiced for their bright-faced little acquaintances of the baggage car. The triumph of Remus was not short-lived. The residents of Boytown learned through the local papers what had happened, and began to look with a new interest upon these boys and their dogs as they passed along the streets. Romulus came to be pointed out to strangers as a coming field trial champion, and Remus as a famous bench show winner. Such dogs were something for the citizens of any town to be proud of, and there were not a few persons who gained thereby a new interest in dogs, to the lasting betterment of their characters. As the autumn days came on, Ernest began to feel the call of the woods and fields, and begged to be allowed to have a gun and go hunting with Sam Bumpus. He was now a tall, good-looking lad of fifteen, and he felt himself quite old enough to become a hunter. Besides, what is the use of owning a fine bird dog if you don't hunt with him? Mrs. Whipple strongly objected, for she was afraid of guns, and at last a compromise was reached. Ernest was to be allowed to go hunting with Sam, provided he would not ask to own or use a gun until he was sixteen, and reluctantly he consented to this arrangement. Jack, who was still only twelve, had not yet caught the hunting fever, and since he owned a dog that could not hunt anyway, he was content to remain at home, while Ernest spent his Saturdays afield with Sam. Sam Bumpus, during the past three years, had grown to be a less lonely man. Through the boys he had made friends in town, and people began to look upon him as less queer, and to recognize his sterling virtues, and all that made him happier." it was a lucky day for me he once said when i brought those puppies down in my pockets it was a luckier day for us responded ernest with warmth now tramping together across country with their dogs they became even closer friends and there was implanted in ernest's character a certain honesty and a love of nature that never left him and withal it was great fun then came another winter, and one day, during the Christmas vacation, Mr. Hartshorn invited the whole crowd of boys up to his house to enjoy an indoor campfire. Mrs. Hartshorn, as usual, spread her table with a wealth of good things to eat, and after the dinner they all gathered in the big living room, where huge logs were blazing and crackling in the fireplace. 
i only wish said ernest whipple that there were more breeds of dogs for you to tell us about mr hartshorn i always enjoyed those talks so much do you think you know all about all the breeds now asked mr hartshorn with a smile well no confessed ernest but i know something about them all and i have one or two good books to refer to i guess there's always more to be learned about everything that is true said their host and fortunately there are always good things being written about dogs by men who know them i never let a chance go by to add to my own fund of dog lore alfred hammond and horace ames who were home from college for the holidays were present at the campfire and alfred was now loudly called upon for a dog story mr hartshorn insisted that he had told everyone he knew and finally alfred acceded to the demand i ran across two anecdotes the other day which may fill the bill said he i think they are both about collies but i am not sure the first is about a scotchman and his dog brutus the scotchman having gone far out of his way in a storm stopped at a lonely house and asked for a shelter for the night the owner of the house admitted him and showed him to a chamber and the scotsman being very weary prepared to go to bed brutus however was not so readily satisfied with his strange surroundings and proceeded to investigate at length he returned to his master and began tugging at the bedclothes the scotsman was at last sufficiently aroused to follow the dog out of the room and down the stairs and brutus led him to the door of a closed room and sniffed at it very cautiously light which made its way through the cracks indicated that the room was occupied the scotsman could find no hole to peep through but much to his surprise he heard several voices for he thought that he and his host were alone in the house he placed his ear to the door and heard enough to make him believe that his life was in danger he was a brave man and prompt action seemed necessary suddenly he pushed open the door and rushed in surprising half a dozen men they reached for their weapons but the traveller was ready first with his pistol he shot his host and cracked another over the head brutus meanwhile attacked so vigorously and to such good purpose that the man and his dog were able to escape uninjured he afterwards learned that the house where he had sought hospitality was the resort of a gang of highwaymen the other story is rather tragic but i guess i'll tell it as it's the only one i have left a travelling merchant in england was riding along on horseback when he dropped a bag containing all his money he was quite unconscious of his loss but his dog had seen the bag fall the dog began to run in front of the horse's head barking and dashing back along the road but the merchant who must have been uncommonly stupid i think did not understand the meaning of his strange actions the dog became more insistent as the man urged his horse ahead barking in an unusual tone and snapping at the horse's feet the merchant who apparently did not know dogs very well began to fear that he was going mad mad dogs will not drink he reflected at the next ford i will watch and if he does not drink i must shoot him of course the dog was much too anxious and excited to drink at the next ford and his master shot him after riding on a little way the man began to be troubled with doubts and misgivings and he turned his horse about when he reached the ford again the dog was not there but the man traced him back along the road by the marks of his blood the merchant found his dog at last lying beside the money-bag protecting his master's property with his last gasp remorsefully the merchant stooped down and begged the dog's forgiveness the faithful animal licked his hand and looked up at him with eyes that seemed to say it's all right my master you didn't understand 
no more stories being forthcoming the talk soon drifted to other things the boys vied with each other in telling of instances which illustrated the superior knowledge intelligence and faithfulness of their own dogs and then fell into reminiscence they talked of the awakening of interest in the dogs of boytown and what it had meant to each of them of the activities of the boytown humane society of the boytown dog show in morton's barn of the days at camp breeches and the death of beloved rags of the eastern connecticut field trials and the winning of romulus of the massatucket dog show and the triumph of remus and of all the good times the boys and their dogs had had together they quoted sam bumpus's quaint sayings and tom poultice's good advice about the care of dogs and they told dog stories that they had read i don't see how anybody can help loving dogs said elliot garfield there are men who hate them though said mr hartshorn american sheep growers for example are bitterly opposed to dogs and many of them would like to see the canine race annihilated and it must be admitted that the dog forms the greatest obstacle in the path of increasing the important sheep-raising industry in the united states dogs do kill sheep and there's no denying it i thought there were laws to protect the sheep said ernest whipple there are said mr hartshorn some of them are good and some of them are bad some of them place it in the sheep man's power to take the law into his own hands and act as judge jury and executioner on the spot which of course is all wrong but unfortunately the best of the laws do not protect the sheep the state may pay damages but that does not restore the slain sheep i don't see what can be done then said theron hammond dolefully for one thing said mr hartshorn more study should be put on these laws before they are passed they should not be drawn up by either partisans of the dog or of the sheep they should aim to eliminate ownerless dogs and to make all owners responsible for the acts of their dogs on the other hand the sheep owners should not be allowed to collect damages unless they can show that they have taken due precautions on their own part such as the erection of dog-tight fences a man has to keep up his fences to keep his neighbor's cows out of his corn or he has no redress why shouldn't a sheep owner be compelled to do likewise but the real cure for the menace of the sheep-killing dog is more dog the american sheepmen don't seem to have learned the lesson that the past has tried to teach them for centuries the trained shepherd dog has been the protection of the flock in all sheep-raising countries and is so to-day in great britain europe and australia i don't believe there are a dozen first-class trained shepherd dogs in the country except in the far west in scotland there are more dogs to the square mile than there are in the united states yet the scotch don't try to legislate a dog out of existence the scotch shepherd never thinks of taking out his flock without his trained collie and the result is that few sheep are killed either by stray dogs or wild animals when the american sheep growers learn their lesson from the shepherds of other countries overcome their prejudice against the dog and adopt the method that has been successfully employed for centuries in other countries they will solve this problem and not until then i hope to see the day come when the sheep man is numbered among the dog's best friends here as he is in scotland a lively discussion followed and then still talking dogs the boys trudged home in the moonlight over the crisp snow a few days later the whole crowd was out skating on hosa's pond a week of clear cold weather following a thaw had made ideal skating and boytown was making the most of it 
there were a number of young men and girls out and a few older devotees of the sport but the boys and their dogs had full possession of one end of the pond here a game of hockey was in progress which was somewhat interfered with by the activities of tatters who had grown into a fine lively sport-loving dog he seemed to think the game was arranged for his special benefit and he chased the puck to and fro across the ice wherever it went another general favorite was rover who never tired of racing with the skaters and particularly enjoyed pulling the younger children about on their sleds these small children had another name for him santa claus and he indeed looked the part others of the dogs were enjoying the sport too though romulus and remus showed a tendency to leave the ice and go scouting off on imaginary trails in the neighborhood suddenly while the fun was at its height a sharp cry arose from the upper end of the pond where the brook ran in it was different from the other shouts and cries that rang out over the ice there was terror in it the loud insistent barking of tatters immediately followed the hockey game was interrupted and every one looked toward that end of the pond to see what could be the matter tatters was running excitedly about the edge of a hole where the ice had broken in and in the black water appeared the head and shoulders of little eddie green who had ventured too near a dangerous spot and had broken through the thin ice sounds of merrymaking suddenly ceased and there was a general rush in that direction the bigger boys threw themselves flat on the ice and tried to reach out to eddie with their hands but the ice cracked alarmingly beneath the weight of so many of them and they dared not approach too close get back boys get back cried theron hammond who was always a leader get back or we'll all go in they saw that such a catastrophe would only make bad matters worse and obeyed the command only theron and harry barton remained to try to reach the frightened little fellow and they could not get near him the water was deep and eddie was struggling wildly to keep from going under the ice which broke off wherever he grasped it keep calm eddie called theron but eddie was terrified and could not keep calm his head went under once and he seemed to be weakening meanwhile ernest whipple and one or two of the others had kicked off their skates and had run off in search of boards or fence rails to throw across the hole but there seemed to be none nearby and help was a long time coming it began to look as though they would be too late it was a tense moment some of the little girls had begun to cry and there was one young lady who gave away to hysterics no one seemed to know what to do it was awful to stand there and watch the little fellow drown before their eyes then there came a sudden rush and a plunge and the black and white head of remus appeared beside that of the drowning boy though an aristocrat of the bench show this good dog had a brain that worked quickly and a heart that knew no fear it was a good thing that remus had learned to be such a good swimmer in days gone by he had need of all his strength and skill now he seized the boy's collar in his teeth and struggled to drag him out but it could not be done the ice broke repeatedly under the dog's paws and it was all he could do to keep the boy's head and his own above water he could only struggle bravely and cast imploring looks toward the helpless humans the water was ice cold of course and it sapped the good dog's strength his efforts weakened and he tried no more to climb out but he never relaxed his hold he would have gone down to his death with the boy before he would have done that both heads went below the surface and came up again and the dogged imploring look deepened in remus's eyes jack whipple called words of encouragement and it was pitiful to watch the noble dog's efforts to respond 
It was wonderful the way he held out, and in the end he won. When it seemed as though the last atom of his strength must have been spent, Ernest Whipple came running up with a plank which he threw across the hole. Remus rested his paws on this, and so was able to keep from going under, but he had no strength left to drag himself and the boy out. Eddie was now unconscious and could not help himself. Then Elliot Garfield and two other boys arrived with boards and fence rails, and with these they built a sort of bridge across the dangerous gap. Theron crawled cautiously out upon this, with Harry Barton holding to his feet. He grasped Remus's collar, and with Harry's help dragged the boy and the dog to firm ice. Eddie was seized in friendly arms and was rubbed and rolled until he revived. Remus fell, faint and trembling, to the ice, and Jack Whipple, unconscious of his own sobs, gathered the heroic dog to his breast. End of chapter 18